0: Welcome to Women in Worldviews podcast. I am your host, Dr. Catherine Lowe. I am a professor and a chaplain at a small university in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. I teach New Testament and women and religion courses, so Mary Magdalene inevitably comes up. In fact, this year I decided to change things up in my New Testament class and ask a question on the final exam. Who was Mary Magdalene? A student, who I must admit stopped coming to class, simply answered, a prostitute. Therein lies one of the greatest cultural misinterpretations of all time, I think, and I don't blame the student. There is something so compelling about the idea of a woman who knew Jesus intimately, or who Jesus possibly rescued from her sexual plight, or who turned away from evil ways to follow Jesus. But it wasn't Mary Magdalene, if I were to be honest about the biblical story. We know three important things about Mary Magdalene. First, she was from Magdala. So every time biblical authors refer to her, they're always referring to her as Mary and also from the place she is from. Magdala, a small village off the shore of the Lake of Galilee. Now, second thing we know is that Luke chapter 8, verse 2 claims that she was cured of seven demons, which led her to support Jesus, probably financially. Now, Mary Magdalene was not some lone woman out there who decided to follow Jesus by herself. Other women were with her from the Galilee region. Third and finally, what we know about Mary Magdalene is that all four gospel authors list her as a primary witness to Jesus' death and a witness to the empty tomb. The four gospels really vary on how they tell stories and how they unfold events, so it is significant if all four gospels are mentioning Mary Magdalene at some point. John 20 is the most dramatic about this with Mary Magdalene being the first and only witness to the resurrected Jesus. He says her name, Mary, and she recognizes him after that. It's very lovely. Her name, Mary, is quite common. Tomb inscriptions in first century Palestine tell us that Mary was a very popular name. The other two main Marys in the New Testament are Mary, mother of Jesus, and Mary of Bethany, sister of Martha and Lazarus. Now, Bethany is not in the Galilee region. It's across the valley next to Jerusalem. John's gospel is the only gospel to contain the Lazarus story and the famous story about Mary, sister of Martha, anointing Jesus's feet in Bethany with costly perfume. And you can find those two stories in John chapters 11 and 12. This perfume, this anointing confusion regarding Mary Magdalene is the really sticky spot. So here to help me explain is a recent graduate of the Women's College, Harriet. Hi, Harriet. Hello. Harriet completed her thesis paper on Mary Magdalene as a graduate of the religion degree. So I asked Harriet to come and explain her entry point into studying Mary Magdalene. It was through Western art, right? That's correct.
1: During a May term course on global justice, our group traveled throughout Europe, beginning with the, the country of France, While in France, we visited the palace at Versailles. As we neared the end of this tour, our guide pointed out a rather large painting hanging on an ornate wall in the palace. It was an oil painting created by the Italian artist Paolo Veronese in the late 16th century, and it was titled The Feast in the House of Simon the Pharisee. In this painting, amongst the Italian architecture and the people clothed in rich jewel-toned fabrics, the artist drew the viewer's eyes to the focal point of his work in the center of the painting, Jesus seated in a chair with a woman anointing his feet. The woman's face was cast downward and her hair was partially draped upon her right shoulder. Just beyond Jesus' feet on the floor laid an open alabaster jar on its side. The tour guide asked if anyone in the group recognized the man at the center of the painting, and most everyone in the group identified the man as Jesus. The guide then asked if we knew who the woman washing Jesus' feet was supposed to be. A few in our group responded, Mary, to which the guide replied in a brazen tone, yes, and we all know about her, don't we? (laughs) I knew instantly that the guide was mistaking the woman in the painting as Mary Magdalene. In that moment, I was incensed by the sharing of what I believed to be false information. And yet I did not speak up because I had not organized in my memory all the New Testament anointing stories of Jesus. It was at this point I realized my need to learn more about what biblical texts do and do not say about Mary Magdalene. This frustrating yet treasured experience laid the foundation for the subject of my senior thesis. In fairness to the palace tour guide, I believe he is like most people who are understandably confused by the number of similar anointing stories in Christian texts and have also been influenced by the portrayal of Mary Magdalene in the arts, such as the very Nisi painting of Versailles. When many see a woman in artwork wiping Jesus' feet, or an alabaster jar tucked into the image with a woman, they think of the anointing passages in the New Testament and identify any or all of these women as the one and only Mary Magdalene.
0: Yet, in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the woman who anoints Jesus is not actually named. She shows up in Luke 7. She's called a woman, a sinner, from the city. And she anoints Jesus' feet with ointment from an alabaster jar. Now, Matthew and Mark have anointing stories, all containing an alabaster container of some kind. I know a little bit about alabaster in the first century Palestine. It was very costly to own. But whether or not the woman in Luke 7 got her money through prostitution is not clearly stated. It's only been inferred. Luke simply identifies her as a woman, a sinner from the city. No name, no clear identification from which city she comes. We have several anonymous women at work in the New Testament, and several Gospel authors give multiple points of view about women. So, to be sure, we have to be clear when stories in the Gospels do not give names. So, Harriet, how did this conflation, particularly of the unnamed woman in Luke 7, happen? How did our culture come to assume that Mary Magdalene was a penitent ex-prostitute.
1: The starting point in my research was with 6th century Pope Gregory I, also known as Gregory the Great. Gregory, born approximately 540 CE, was born into a wealthy landowning family in Italy at a time when most of Europe was dealing with famines, plagues, and wars. His family was involved in secular and religious circles, and his great-grandfather was Pope Felix. As Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, Gregory's focus was on how best to be a Christian, how to live the fullest Christian life. This was the greatest central preoccupation in all of his preaching, and this was the question into which the anxieties of his age, the wars, and famines had shaped themselves. This helped to give his sermons a predominantly moral direction, And of all of the sermons Gregory preached, it is his homily 33 that calls out the woman from Magdala and authoritatively proclaims her as a penitent prostitute redeemed by Jesus. Here is an excerpt from Gregory's homily 33 based on the unnamed sinner in Luke 7. When I think of Mary's repentance, I am more disposed to weep than to speak whose heart is so stony that the sinful woman's tears wouldn't soften it with her example of repentance. This woman whom Luke calls a sinner, John names Mary. I believe that she is the same Mary of whom Mark says that seven demons had been cast out. She found as many things to sacrifice as she had had ways of offering pleasure. She converted the number of her faults into the number of virtues so that she could serve God as completely in repentance as she had rejected him in sin. In these opening statements, Gregory has taken the unnamed sinner in Luke and conflated her with Mary of Bethany, the sister to Martha and Lazarus from John. Weaving these women together, he has formed an identity for Mary Magdalene and supported his claim with the text from Mark 16, referring to the demons cast out of her. By Gregory's summation, all three anointing stories are accounts of that one Mary Magdalene, To further support his claim, the Pope surmises that sinfulness in the unnamed woman must be sexual sin, and by that same token, since Mark and Luke both speak of Mary Magdalene as having had seven evil spirits cast out of her, sexual indecencies must have been taken while she was under the Spirit's control. There is, in fact, no specific sin mentioned in the passage from Luke 7, let alone sexual sin, nor is there a need to infer a specific sin. In the same light, to assume that the ointment carried by the woman and her loose hair are tools of a lust trade is inaccurate. Certainly the actions of the unnamed woman and Luke are intimate and not the everyday actions of anyone, be they male or female, that does not mean that they are intended to be sexual in nature. Jewish biblical scholars speak to these very actions and say that loosened hair indicated grief gratefulness, propitiation of a god, or pleading, and that they need not be taken as erotic. As for the woman Gregory has conflated with the unnamed sinner from Luke, there is no inference of sin, sexual sin, or prostitution with either the unnamed woman in Mark 14 or Mary of Bethany in John 12. We also need to keep in mind the handling of Mary Magdalene's name. In each gospel, when she is identified, Both names are recorded. Her name is listed first among others, with the only exception being when she is in the presence of Jesus' family, which affirms that the writers were speaking of her specifically in those passages and not some other woman named Mary. When Mary Magdalene's name is not used, her presence is inferred by identifying the group of women as, quote, those who followed Jesus from Galilee, end quote, words directly from Luke chapter 8. Reading these scripture passages and juxtaposing them with what is known about Mary Magdalene and not merely speculated, it is apparent that the lines Pope Gregory I has drawn to connect the identities of these women into that of one woman and to label her a prostitute are indeed unfounded and false.
0: Well, it can't be any more clear than that. The bottom line is that Mary Magdalene was a prime follower and witness to the unfolding of the Christian story. To sexualize her into something that she wasn't is a problem we have to contend with, because it waters down the message that women have always held central roles in the Jesus movement without their sexuality being the main thing about them. So thanks, Harriet, for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. To conclude this episode of Women and Worldviews, we state clearly for the record that Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. And it's always a pleasure for me to unravel cultural assumptions, particularly about women, and to teach religious studies and watch how worldviews unfold. For those who need a little help unraveling some of these issues, I will have a chart of the anointing story passages on my website at wwwcatherinelowcom podcast, along with a picture of the Italian painting to which Harriet refers here. Thanks for joining us.